The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Batches? I don't have to show you any stinking batches! This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Now that's an interesting headline. Hardly anyone will own a car in 2030. Experts are saying. I'll get into that here in a minute or why I take my take on that is it's Chris Salcedo show Cinco de Mayo, everybody, and uh, everybody in the building is celebrating a little early. I mean, Ellie, uh, how many have you had so far? About two, three, four margaritas? Is that- I have not had any. I can't push the button. Hey, man, I love you, it's man. Function right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Five of me. It's just, where's the chips and guacamole, man? Uh, 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. I have not had a drop of uh, of adult beverage yet on this Cinco de Mayo. I had another show to do, so there you go. Uh, if you want to reach out and say hello to the program on social media, feel free to do so on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX at C-H-R-I-S-S-A-L-C-E-D-O-T-X. Uh, Facebook, the Chris Salcedo Show. Type in T-H-E. You have to have that the in there. The Chris Salcedo Show. You will find us. Make sure you follow us there. Nice thing about the arrangement we have with Facebook and Twitter is whenever we update the Facebook page, Twitter is automatically updated as well. So you use Twitter perhaps as your notification that something is on the show's mind. Then you flip on over to the Facebook page and you get the full article and you can share the article's uh, as you see fit, catching the show live, blaze.com slash radio, blaze radio smartphone app, iHeart radio app. As a matter of fact, I just had somebody inquire about that today. That is a great way to stay in touch with the show. SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, in case you miss a show or you want to partake in binge listening, head to the blaze.com and the channel section. Uh, find the Chris Salcedo show, and you will. Um, and you follow us there, and you'll get treated to some of the highlights of our show every single day. Why 95% of you driving won't be in your own car by, 20, uh, by 2030. When Google's self-driving program spinoff Whammo, or Waymo began offering to let Phoenix-area families try out its vehicle service last month, it touched off what a new study is calling a historic revolution in transportation. So I guess this is kind of like you show up to a city, and you... You, and you want to get onto a bike, and you have these bike racks, you swipe your card, you take the bike, and you go. 
That's what they're alleging is going to happen with cars. See, I thought this was going to go someplace different because I had a friend of mine that told me the other day that her teenager was not at all eager to get her driver's license. Didn't want to. I'm thinking, how's that again? Then I sat down with a friend of mine just uh, two days ago. Said his son, same thing. Not excited. Nah, if I get my license, fine. Don't, it's fine. I've got friends who drive. And besides dad, he said, Uber takes me wherever I want to go. Uber. And I, and, I, and I sat there dumbfounded and I looked at these people and I said, really? This, this is where our youth is today? Uh, hey, why would I want to buy a car? Just have somebody else drive me. That's what Uber's for. Could we be heading there in this country? Let's, uh, let's head to the flip around, shall we? See what the folks are talking about on the cable talkers, uh, the cable news programs and the talking heads. Let's go to Fox first today. So there's more work to be done on the Medicaid piece as well. Ohio Senator Rob Portman not pulling any punches, saying he has serious issues with the House bill, saying, quote, I've already made clear that I don't support the House bill as currently constructed because I continue to have concerns that this bill does not do enough to protect Ohio's Medicaid expansion population, especially those who are receiving treatment for heroin and prescription drug abuse. Really, Rob Portman, you're, you're worried that the government doesn't get involved enough in people's medical care. That, that's your big worry? Uh, we, we said this yesterday, folks. We were reacting to the signing ceremony. Not signing ceremony, but the uh, the ceremony in the White House, at the White House in the Rose Garden, after the Republicans had passed this this confirmation that Democrats and Republicans agree that there has to be government between you and your doctor, that medical care in the United States of America and medical insurance cannot exist anymore without uh, government intervention, and both Republicans and Democrats agree to this. And I'm sorry to say it is a it's a dark day in the United States of America. When the, and as a matter of fact, when I said what I said yesterday, right here on the Blaze Radio Network, somebody else echoed me, actually gave a timetable to when we could find uh, socialized medicine fully ensconced in America, if it isn't here already. I'll get into that on the other side of the flip around. Let's go over to CNN and see what they're talking about. A bad choice. This was between a bad choice and what they calculated to be an even worse choice. So I don't think they will be, they certainly shouldn't be surprised to hear some blowback on this, particularly as it regards pre-existing conditions, particularly in many of these states in which uh, the Medicaid funding, uh, Medicaid uh, extension Medicaid, funding will be about, frozen yes, in 2020. Yes. Opioid uh, and addiction uh, funding stripped out of the bill. We haven't heard that much about it yet. We will hear more about it uh, in the Senate. So there's a lot in here that impacts people's individual lives. That's why changing healthcare is so difficult. It's not a pie-in-the-sky conversation that people can't relate to. This is about when you go to your primary care physician, how much it costs, whether you can afford it. And as the professor said, for people in these high-risk pools, many of them, the premiums are just too high. So how- Yeah, in these high-risk pools. Uh, because we've accepted now that, that government intervention, even though government intervention is in and of itself the biggest driver of cost increases of health care, uh, that government must be in there to defray costs that you are entitled to health care paid for by your neighbor or but by some face faceless rich guy someplace else that the majority of the country has surrendered to this idea that 
that uh, socialized medicine can work, although it never has in human history. But hey, that's the, the liberal fantasy. Just keep trying hard enough and socialism will eventually work. Uh, I wasn't at all excited yesterday by what the Republicans had done. I'd recognize the political victory of it all. But it goes over to the Senate now where uh, there, there is no one. Let, let me put it this way. Nobody in the United States of America right now is talking about, wait a minute, is it proper for the federal government to be involved in people's health care? Where is it written that you deserve health care paid for by somebody else or that you deserve health insurance paid for by somebody else? But it's so expensive. Yes, it is. Well, that's not fair. Um, I, I know there are a lot of things in life that aren't fair. Well, we in America believe that uh, you should get health care, no matter what, if you need it, especially if you have pre-existing conditions. And a lot of us, to, to and, and I've had allergies all my life, pre-existing condition, right? Pre-existing condition. Therefore, the government must make sure that I have access to get it treated. Where does it stop? It doesn't. It doesn't. The free market would take care of this if government were, in, were not involved. Those high-risk pools existed before Obamacare. It's not, as, as we made mention of yesterday, pre-existing conditions is not, covering pre-existing conditions is not insurance. That's not insurance. You already have suffered the loss and now you, all, all you want somebody else to do is pick up the tab for you so you can afford it. That's not insurance. Insurance is, hey, I got a loss. I paid premiums for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. And now that I've taken an unexpected loss, uh, the, the insurance company, which has taken my premiums for 5, 10, 15 years, they will now pay out to cover my loss. But a pre-existing condition is the loss has already been suffered. And now I want people to make sure that I'm covered and I'm taken care of. Let's go over to MSNBS. You've got a helmet. You've got a helmet. Whereas Obamacare was a $200 helmet. So we've got to make sure, you know, we have plans that meet the marketplace. And the more we can do that in terms of the free market. Look, we already do this when it comes to car insurance. As a woman, I actually have lower rates because I don't have testosterone and I'm more... Uh, Passive behind the wheel in general. Uh, so we do that already. We do that uh, in terms of, you know, other, other differentials as well. So Not a bad point. Not a bad point. Why, why is it fair that I as a male have to pay a higher premium in, in auto insurance when females don't have to? That's not fair. Shouldn't females be charged extra money so that I don't pay more money? Uh, sh shouldn't we distribute that? Well, no. Because I, as a young male, when I was younger, was I, I was a higher risk for an accident because of testosterone, as, as the young lady just put it. And females, by and large, don't suffer from that. But given this, carrying out this insane expectation about about how healthcare it all must be equal the cancer patient uh who is 65 75 years of age must have the same premium as the 
18 year old getting a checkup. That's insane. People's circumstances are different. Their health care is different and their costs are different. And there's a way for the free market to deal with these things to keep costs low. It's called competition. Better business models. Healthcare is a service. And when you get that service performed, and, and by the way, m- might I say, healthcare professionals want to get paid. They see a market. They don't, they don't want to price themselves out of that market. But you know what happens and what's going to happen since now we have no political party in the United States standing up for the free market. Every, both political parties have said government needs to be in this decision-making process with you and your doctor. Both political parties have said this. And that your neighbors must pay for your health care. And that some faceless rich guy must pay for your health care. What we're going to end up with is what they have over the UK. Really crappy medical care for, the, for normal folks. The rank and file. And there's going to be an elite system of private health care, which is top notch. And which only can be accessed if you have the cash and if you have the money. That's where this is going. And that's why I oppose it and why I think you should, too. Be back in a minute. It's the Salcedo Show. Happy Friday. Happy Cinco de Mayo on the blaze. Keep up with the Chris Salcedo Show on Facebook and on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Just another way to stay in touch with Chris on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Chris Salcedo is on the Blaze Radio Network. Did you get some of the fajitas, Ellie, that were uh, out there? No? Did you get any, did you get any good Mexican food today? No, I didn't get to eat Cinco any. de Mayo. Uh, in case anybody with the sound of my voice has just eating or is in the process of eating, uh, I would never, ever normally tell you to do this, but you just might want to just take caution. I'm reading an article from the UK Telegraph, and here's the headline. (laughs) Eating boogies is good for your teeth and overall health, scientists conclude. Uh, It might be wise to look away now if you're eating or having too, uh, uh, too much of a weak stomach, writes Sarah Napton. But scientists have discovered that ingesting boogies is good for your teeth and overall health. Scientists at a number of universities, including Harvard, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, that's MIT, folks, say that parents should not discourage their children from picking their noses because they contain a rich reservoir 
of good bacteria. Everybody, everybody in the control room, you guys have all eaten, right? Uh, all of us except Waldo. Oh, yes. Uh, eating snot, writes Sarah Napton, uh, can also prevent bacteria from sticking to the teeth, according to the article published in the Journal of the American Society of Microbiology. The findings even suggest snot could defend against uh, respiratory infections, stomach ulcers, and even HIV. The researchers are even working on a synthetic mucus toothpaste. Mmm, <laughs> a fresh mucus taste. <laughs> researchers are even working on a synthetic muc- mucus toothpaste and chewing gum. <laughs> To harness the dental benefits of boogies. Ellie, uh, how do you get a tissue to dance? You put a little boogie in it. (laughs) What? What? You've never heard that joke before? My mom told me that when I was 12. Yes, I have. Triple eight nine hundred thirty Yeah, uh, we got a call. Somebody wanted to, wanted me to know that they dropped the charges on the illegals in Maryland. That the rape charges. Apparently, the fourteen year old girl. Perhaps they, they're saying the evidence, and and there was some indication of this after this thing had broke. That the fourteen year old girl had actually texted out consent. Now, there's still this little matter of an 18-year-old having sex with a 14-year-old, which is still, to my recollection, uh, against the law. It's called statutory rape, number one. And uh, these guys are still up on porn charges, these illegal aliens. But apparently the rape charges, the sexual assault has been dropped. Apparently the 14-year-old was consensual, according to certain reports. So that's what's happening. Out there in Maryland. Uh, Charles Krauthammer last night, in the wake of this vote by the House of Representatives, to amend Obamacare. And that's what it was, folks. You look at the language of this bill, and it doesn't repeal Obamacare. It amends Obamacare. What Vice President Pence would say, the beginning of the end of Obamacare. And perhaps the beginning of Republican ownership of government-controlled medicine in the United States. Krauthammer uh, telling Fox News that Obama won the debate. America now thinks taxpayers should pay for everybody's health care. We've seen over and over, once you get an entitlement, people don't want to take it away. Charles, where do you think we are in this debate over Obamacare and health care in general, both politically and in terms of the policy as evidenced in this legislation? I think historically speaking, we're at the midpoint. We had seven years of Obamacare, a change in expectations, and I would predict that in less than seven years, we'll be in a single-payer system. You understand what he's saying there, is that the Republican Party has surrendered on this. And we've been shouting at the the rooftops that the, the debate in Washington, D.C., the Republicans were talking about, well, we need to repeal and replace. Well, wait a minute. Replace 
you're accepting the premise that Obama was right, that there needs to be a government entitlement here, that government has a role here in the nation's health care. When really the conservative knows and understands that there should be nothing between you and your doctor. Nothing. Because the minute, the minute government says, well, you know, we're going to get involved, then here's the money. And it's not too far long after that when the demands start coming in. Well, you've got you've to conduct yourself in this manner or else you can't get the money. Well, you better eat this kind of food or, you know, can't get that money. It's already starting to happen um, in the insurance industry. They're, they're already demanding you get physicals or you're not covered. You, you, you know that's already happening. I think that's the great irony of this. Obamacare failed at every level. Politically, the Democrats were crushed. Over- yeah, and I, I think that's ironic, too. The Democrats were crushed because they tinkered around with health care and they put government in between the consumer of health care and the doctors. And the Republicans are saying, oh, us now, us now. 888-900-3393. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Chris Salcedo Show. I'm glad you have tuned in. Coming up, well, because we we don't appear to have staunch conservative leadership inside of the U.S. inside of the U.S. Congress. We have to go back in time to find some, and I'll play that for you coming up. Meantime, Kevin Jackson, syndicated radio talk show host, Fox News contributor, best-selling author, the latest book, Race. Pimping. You can find that at racepimping.com. He is my guest. Kevin, welcome to the Chris Salcedo Show. Chris, good to be on with you, man. It's been a minute, hasn't it? Yes, sir, it has. You know what? You're coming to the great state of Texas, and I'll get to that here in a minute, but i got to get you to weigh in on, on some of the big news of the day. First off, I wanted to get your raw reaction to the vote that took place yesterday uh, in the House to amend Obamacare, because it wasn't a repeal and it wasn't a replace. It was an amending of Obamacare. What do you think? Well, I think they need to repeal and replace it. But you know what? If it's a, a ceremonial victory for Trump, congratulations to him. Uh, look, the left sells Obamacare as if the nation really wanted it. That that monstrosity never got anywhere close to 40% of the people that wanted it. And, you know, it's funny. They did it, Chris. They did a, uh, a tweeter, a tweet. A hashtag thing for it, and it said Obamacare helped me on Twitter. They were trying to get it to to start trending. It got eight thousand people, and my quip was, "That's all that Obamacare has helped is eight thousand people." <laughs> we spent billions of dollars, and they can't get they can't get a million people, two million. Every time you find out about this piece of legislation, you find out it's a crooked lie. The number of people who are on it, the number of people who have benefited, the number of people who lost their good insurance and now are part of Obamacare. I can tell you horror stories from my own personal family where, you know, they're afraid to go to the doctor because of co-pays and, and all the other things that are there. And our premiums in my house, we've, they've doubled in three years. 
So we've, we calculated it. We've spent $30,000 more because of Obamacare over the past three or four years. Wow. And that's ridiculous. So, look, it's, it's not helping in any way. And the only thing that we have to do is, is just remind people, tell me how it helped you. Just give me your one example, because it hasn't. And, you know, the, the left wants to pretend that everybody, it's on the minds of everybody health care is. No, it isn't. Health care is on your mind when something happens, for the most part. It's very few people. You're in your 40s or 50s before you're going, ooh, I better start thinking about what's going to be coming. The majority of the nation is more concerned about, you know, the, what, kind of, the, what their next car is going to be or what their next meal is going to be or if they can afford, you know, the prescription medicine that they are currently paying out the nose for. They don't care about when they're going to yeah. go to the doctor because we rarely go. Well, let's not forget the joys. of if, if you're in states like Iowa, you've got Obamacare saying you must buy insurance, and then all of a sudden the last insurer is pulling out of the exchanges in Iowa, and people are going, wait a minute, I have no choices, but, I ha- but I'm mandated to get insurance. How does that work? That's the genius of when you turn liberals over uh, uh, health care. Let, let me play a soundbite from Charles Krauthammer, also a contributor over there at Fox like you. Here's what he said last night about what this vote symbolized in his mind, and this is kind of where I went first yesterday. When um, uh, during the Blaze show, listen to this. I think historically speaking, we're at the midpoint. We had seven years of Obamacare, a change in expectations, and I would predict that in less than seven years, we'll be in a single payer system. Has the Republican Party admitted that Obama was right, that we needed entitlement here, and that's that the government needs to be no. between you and your doctor with this vote yesterday? No, I, I well, I don't. I don't know what they, what the Republicans think, because I don't trust them any more than I trust the Democrats. But I'll tell you this: we, Krauthammer's gotten it wrong. He's gotten a lot of stuff wrong over the past few years, and I know Charles pretty well and have a lot of respect for him. But he's wrong again. We're not going to be in a single payer system. Uh, look, uh, women are not going to get many prostate exams as mu- in as much as men are going to get mammograms. So we need systems that allow us to pick and choose what we want to go for. A single guy is not worried about pregnancy insurance. A young woman may very well want that. A young family may want that. You want to be able to pick and choose, and that's what this nation's about, and that's what's going to give us the best choices. Now, if you want to look at catastrophic, there are people that focus on that type of insurance, Aflac and many others. You know, if you lose your job, it's catastrophic. You develop cancer. How many people develop some – by the way, cancer is no longer the, 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 you know, the dreaded disease it used to be years ago, unless it's pancreatic or something like that. You can get skin cancer. You can get all kinds of cancers that are curable, and it's not a big deal. The fact is there's all kinds of policies out there, and it's your choice. Do you want to roll the dice at the age of 25 and pay for the idea that you're going to be in some long-term disability thing? Or, or do you go, you know what, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty lucky and pretty healthy for the next 20 years. I don't think I need that. That should be your choice. And you know what? The system still takes care of, of us in, in a, no matter what. Right now, whether you have uh, you know, insurance or not, if something catastrophic happens to you, you're going to get treated. So it's a, it's a, this is one of these things that we've spent so much time and energy on that nobody really thinks about until it's really needed. And the left wants to make you fear like it could happen tomorrow. Well, it could. And you could die tomorrow. And, and let me put it to you this way, Chris, and all the people listening to your great show, we're all going to die. And sometimes <laughs> it's going to be catastrophic and sometimes it's going to yeah. be naturally in your sleep. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that uh, pa- having socialism prevents death. That's, that's news to me. Kevin Jackson, everybody, syndicated radio talk show host, Fox News contributor. Uh, the latest book is Race Pimping. Racepimping.com is where you can find it. A report out by the Federal Bureau of Investigation says that the spike in attacks on law enforcement 
is has been determined to be inspired by the likes of Barack Obama and the black what I call the Black Lives Matter movement. What's your take on this? Yeah, and there's no question about it. We're making a movie about it called Blue Li- uh, Bleeding Blue. And um, you can go to bleedingbluemovie.com and see the trailer, and I think everybody will be fascinated by it. Talking to the distributors right now about how we're going to get it promoted, but it, it's, it's phenomenal. And in and, and doing this movie and interviewing law enforcement people around the country, we just found out amazing insights. Uh, what happens after cops shoot people? How do they feel? Do they go to the bar and high-five each other, or do they have to get counseling? I think you know the answer. So mm-hmm. we, we cover it from who lit the fuse. You know, it was Barack Obama gave the matches when, when he, uh, to the whole thing when he did, didn't do anything about Gates breaking into his own home, and a white cop asked him, can I see some ID, and it became a racial incident. It wasn't a racial incident. He broke into his house. A neighbor reported it. See something, say something. That's what they did. Everybody did their job except Barack Obama and Bill and, a, and a Professor Gates, who made it racial and started the war on police. And then Ferguson, boom, that was the, the powder keg. It blew up. We got the Ferguson effect. We got people hunting cops and this false narrative of hands up, don't shoot in the Black Lives Matter circus that really is nothing more than a terrorist group. So that that's how all this comes up. And you know what, Chris, we let this happen because as citizens, we should be fighting back. I was the first person to call these clowns what they are, which is terrorists. I did it on Fox News. And then they fought back. We're not terrorists. You know, we, we're, we're, we want peace and love. Well, then stop trying to kill cops. Stop <laughs> and what, inspiring people to do these, these types of things. Exactly. We, and we have the sound bites of, of one of their leaders calling for the, the death of white people. So, you know, if, if you want to be a peaceful organization, I think you've got to stop calling for the death of folks. Kevin Jackson, folks, is coming to Texas. He's coming here on Monday, May 8th. He's going to Longview. Longview. What, now, now, what do you, now, who are you going to speak to there? East Texans for, uh, what is it? Uh, East it? Texans East for Te- Liberty, right? East Texans for Liberty, right? And you can go to EastTexansForLiberty.com if you want to check me out. It'll be a lot more fun than what we're doing here. Even though we're having fun, Chris, it's a lot more comedic. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, I, you know, I make fun of liberals. I really do. I think that they're not, it's, everything they do is nonsense, and I'll prove it. And then I guarantee you, I'd love to have liberals show up because I'll make fools out of them. You know, look, uh, so East Texans for Liberty invited me to come out. I think it's a fundraiser for them, and I hope we can get a lot of folks that will drive a little bit of time to see me and talk about these issues. I'm going to be going over uh, to France, in fact, talking about the Iranian resistance. And what we're doing here in the States with the Tea Party and all these, and what the East Texans for Liberty does is exactly what these guys are doing in Iran. They're exposing the government. They expose that nuclear program that Iran claims it wasn't doing. And they're showcasing how things work. So we're going to be talking about uh, local issues, regional issues, national issues, and even international issues that you may not be privy to. I'll talk a little bit about my film. Uh, uh, Bleeding Blue. You can go to bleedingbluemovie.com. I'll talk about race pimping. And in fact, I will hand out fedoras and cigars and, and a big Cadillac to everybody that shows up. The first 50 people that show up get a Cadillac. Nice. Really, a Cadillac. <laughs> Longview, Texas, everybody. That's where Kevin Jackson is going to be next Monday. Go to EastTexansForLiberty.com. Kevin Jackson, it has been too long. Uh, thank you for being here on the Salcedo Show. Take care, Chris. 888 If you're in the adjacent states to Texas and you can make the trek to Longview, might be worth it to see my buddy Kevin Jackson. Back in a minute, folks, on The Blaze. This is The Chris Salcedo Show. The Blaze Radio Network.
taking in a little Latin flair with Chris Salcedo on the Blaze Radio Network. Everybody, I, I mentioned this uh, during my talk with Kevin Jackson. We will have to go back into uh, history to find a right-minded Republican who was actually a, a conservative to articulate the perils of government getting more deeply involved in our health care decisions. Um, government's already involved in health care in the industry and in perverting and distorting the industry through Medicare and Medicaid. It's already involved. The natural progression of government interference is where we are today. Um, mentioned this yesterday, AARP and, and the American Medical Association, they've sold out to socialism. And this, this is the perilous path that we are walking down. And many of we conservatives who thought the Constitution would insulate us from these kinds of things, uh, believing in the exceptional nation that America is, thought that maybe we might be able to avoid the perils that our cousins to the north and our cousins across the pond in the UK and Europe have avoid that road they've gone down, which is a road of misery. Think about this. That the UK and Europe had uh, the United States to rely on for their defense when they went full tilt socialism. When they diverted the lion's share of their taxes to entitlements. When they devoted their countries to government control over their citizens' lives. They had the United States of America, who had not gone down that road, to protect them. With our massive spending on defense and our alliances. They, they were free to spend money not on defense, but to go spend it on wasteful government and making bureaucrats and cronies rich, which they did. The British health care system, we'll get into that discussion here in a minute. But this was Mike Pence this last weekend on Meet the Press telegraphing where the Republicans were going. We're basically borrowing an idea from the state of Maine that has seen a significant drop in premiums. Uh, for for uh, for people on their health insurance, because you take people that have pre-existing and costly uh, conditions and put them into a high-risk pool, and you subsidize that so that it is affordable to those individuals. And so- you subsidize that. No, notice how the vice president said, "Well, you subsidize it. You know, you just snap your fingers and subsidize it." Well, what does that mean? In essence, you do less in in your pocket so you can divert it to a high risk pool so that your fellow citizens aren't paying as much for their health care. So you, your family does without so others can afford their health care by force of government. In my view, I like the concept. I just don't like the execution because it's ripe for corruption and, and overreach that's best left to something done in the private sector voluntarily so you're guaranteeing coverage for pre-existing conditions and the flexibility that you're referring to yeah. in this latest macarthur amendment 
states can only apply for that waiver and flexibility if they have either a federal or state high-risk pool that guarantees that people will be able to have coverage and it'll be affordable. Yeah. So at any rate, the vice president, even over the weekend, knew this is where they were going on this bill. And it was uh, Fred Upton from Michigan who got this provision put in. Eight billion dollars. It's a high risk pool. So what you do is you lump in all of the pre-existing condition folks into this pool, subsidize them with eight billion U.S. dollars. And that that number will go up, I guarantee you. And um, that way they are not factored into normal insurance. Thus, your rates will come down, but you're going to be paying for it one way or the other. You'll be paying for it with higher taxes or it'll just be added to the credit card as so many things are in our government now for your children or your grandchildren to pay for it. Uh, Nobody's in Washington, D.C. is talking about paying for anything. It's just all put up on the credit card. There, There are some sage words that I will share with you on the other side of the break. And again, we have to turn back the clock to be able to hear these sage words because, unfortunately, I can't find a Republican today who could echo them, who can articulate them. Uh, I think I've said it before on this show, the precursor to doing what I do, the precursor to doing what Glenn does or what everybody here on the Blaze Radio Network does, the precursor to conservative talk radio was this guy. We've all heard the admonition, physician, heal thyself. Maybe it should be changed to read, Physician, Defend Thyself. I'll be right back. We'll hear what Ronald Reagan had to say when he was visiting with the American people on, well, the precursor to talk radio. On the other side of the break, he talks about socialized medicine. On the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't go anywhere, folks. Be right back. You're listening to the Chris Salcedo Show. Part of Generation Blaze. On the Blaze Radio Network. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Batches. I don't have to show you any stinking batches. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Hour two on Cinco de Mayo, a Friday. Glad you've joined us, everybody, for the Chris Salcedo Show. Telephone numbers 888 888-900-3393. Catch up with the show on Facebook, The Chris Salcedo Show, and on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Um, 1970s, mid to early, uh, early to mid 1970s, there was a, a movement to give a conservative voice some time on, on the airwaves. And the former governor of California, Ronald Reagan, was tapped to do a uh, daily commentary where he'd visit with with folks in afternoon drive right around this time. And radio stations all over the country would be able to sponsor it. And that's, before we went to the break, that's what, that was the setup. You would, Ronald Reagan would come in, give a tease, and they'd have a little commercial playing in the middle, and then Ronald Reagan would come back to give his ideas on the issues of the day. Now, what you're going to find so striking when I play this, this this segment from his 
collected speeches called Reagan in his own voice, which is a, a companion to Reagan in his own hand, which is a written book. Speeches written out by, by Ronald Reagan and his commentaries written out. Actually, I think it was exclusively commentaries. These are the audio versions of the commentaries, those that could be rescued. And what a fantastic um, collection Chiron Skinner put together of, uh, of judge. I mean, he talks about all manner of things in this collection. If you don't have Reagan in his own voice, I highly, highly suggest it. Because the way Congress is going today, and because you know, we've got elected leaders who aren't even, not even talking about getting the debt under control. History and these tapes may be the only, other than talk radio, maybe the only uh, source for conservative thought. Certainly you can't find much of it in the, in the ranks of, of Republicans these days. So here, here is Ronald Reagan, and the topic is socialized medicine. And remember, the 1970s is when this commentary was penned and enunciated. And wait till you hear how many similarities are between then and today. But the difference between then and today is then people stood up and said no. Today, nobody's fighting for these principles. The campaign goes on to bring health care in America out of the free market system and into the protective custody of government. Those who brought us the Postal Service and Amtrak are anxious to provide medical service of the same high caliber. What is hard to understand, or come to think of it may not be so hard to understand, is the American Medical Association's reluctance to fight back. The AMA, the American Medical Association, who came out when the rumors started circulating that the Republicans had a deal and that they were going to vote on this. The AMA said, nope, we want socialism. We want social. We want government involved in your health care, said the American Medical Association, as did AARP. And by the way, I highly suggest the conservative alternatives to those groups for your patronage. AARP and the American Medical Association have betrayed this nation. They have betrayed this nation in jumping in bed with resident Obama and the traitorous insurance companies. And they may have won. This is, this is why I sounded so oh, depressed is the wrong word. Just not happy yesterday because this, a signal has been sent that perhaps conservatism is lost. The free market is lost. And that these sellouts at the American Medical Association and AARP, along with their allies in the Democrat Party and the extremist left wing in this country and the likes of Obama, have won. There is no equivalent to Ronald Reagan. And the left wing is taking full advantage of it because I, I cannot... He, he was on talk radio. Well, the precursor to talk radio here, folks. But as... Many of you will remember he spoke just as eloquently about conservatism in, in a way that people got. They understood it. 
But uh, even back then, the AMA, and, and you're going to hear Reagan give them the benefit of the doubt, saying they are war-weary, you know, because of these constant pushes of leftists trying to abandon the free market and healthcare. And the AMA used to be one of the, the biggest proponents of the free market system in medical care. Not anymore. As I said, they're sellouts now. But even back then, they were showing signs of buckling. After decades of all-out war against socialized medicine, is it possible that combat fatigue has set in? Heaven knows the energy and determination of those who want to put government in charge of our health has been untiring and persistent. The Medical Association gave in to war weariness and endorsed a national health insurance bill which would force all employers to provide health insurance benefits for their employees. Probably the association figured government would have less chance to interfere in the doctor-patient relationship under... That, by the way, before he continues, does that sound familiar? Government stepping in, forcing employers to provide for insurance for their employees? Yep. Obamacare. Again, this is the 1970s. Under such a program. Someplace along the line, however, the troops rallied and the association withdrew its support of the bill. But the defense line once breached is hard to restore. The insurance business, which should be opposed to government medicine, is supporting a bill which, just by coincidence, I'm sure, calls for a heavy government subsidy for the buying of private health insurance. Sound familiar? Obamacare. The insurance industry back in the 1970s tried to foist this on the American people where they would have government force you to buy their crappy product. They didn't succeed back then. They succeeded in 2009. And what Crownhammer said yesterday and what I said yesterday, in so doing, they changed the complexion of the United States of America where now people feel entitled to have health care and health insurance paid for by somebody else and given to them. It's a right, they think. They're wrong, but they think this. And if we think it, and thus we must be able to impose it through force of government. There were no cooler heads. There was no sanity in this debate, either yesterday or back in 2008, 2009. But back in the 70s, there was. Much of the opposition to government medicine has been based on the better quality of medicine we have here in America, where the providing of health care is still largely in the free market. On these broadcasts, I've tried to debunk the claims of the socialized medicine advocates by citing comparisons between medical quality, availability, and cost here and in other countries. A typical example is an incident told by Congressman Bob Bauman. On a trip to England, he asked an English woman, attractive except for some facial scars, what she thought of their National Health Service. She approved of it and said, Oh, we all get our medical care free, you know. Free. We all get... Now, she had some scars on her face because she didn't get timely care. But you know it was free. Which is where we are going in the United States of America. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it, well, look, look at the Obamacare plans. The bronze, the silver, the gold. You, you have to buy a whole bunch of garbage you don't need. They're crap. Oh, but it's free, you know, for some folks. It's free, you know. That's, that's the allure. Yes, it's crap, but it's free. Yes, it's, I, I don't get to see a doctor, but I have insurance. More people are insured under Obamacare. Congratulations, can you see a doctor? Well, no, but I'm insured. 
Terrific. That isn't true, of course. They're taxed far more heavily than we are, and their health service takes a big bite of those taxes. Then she said, it is rather slow. I had to wait eight years for an appointment with a dermatologist about my face. Eight years. Folks, back in the 1970s, this this was forecasting. You go down this road and this is what you get. You, you can look over in Europe right now and you see the horror story after horror story after horror story from their government-run healthcare institutions. And people over here in America go, yeah, I want that. <laughs> I want that. The idiots in America actually think, I'm, I'm talking about the libs, of course. And now it seems the Republican Party has joined them, who actually think that socialism can be perfected. She then had to wait another year before treatment could begin. She repeated, though, quote, but it is free, unquote. There's another argument against socialized medicine which hasn't been used as much as it should when you think of the sense of fair play that is characteristic of Americans. George Meany of the AFL-CIO is all out for a national health plan. But how would he react if someone proposed that the skilled workers he represents would have to become government employees to practice their skill? Do any of us have the right to tell the members of any profession or trade they must become government employees in order to pursue their chosen work? Of course we all want to ensure that no one is denied needed medical care because of poverty. And we've done better than most countries to provide that care. But wouldn't it violate everything we believe in to adopt a system based on the idea that the patients have a right to a doctor's services without regard for his right to say how and on what terms those services will be delivered? This is Ronald Reagan. Thanks for listening. There was just a news report last night on Fox News detailing how in rural America it takes a lot of these people hours to travel to to uh, a city or a town where there's a doctor because they live so far out to go see a doctor. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Government's going to fix it. Once we turn it all over to government, then government will be telling doctors, oh, I know you'd like to live in Chicago, or I can't imagine anybody wanting to live there, but I'm just giving that as an example. Uh, Or you want to live in San Diego, or you want to live in Manchester, you want to live in uh, Dallas. Sorry, you're needed in Tuscaloosa, Ohio. (laughs) And you must go there if you want to continue to practice medicine, that is. It's not too far off, folks. Just one of the many reasons why I'm begging, I'm imploring the Republicans, turn around somebody, for God's sakes, stand up and say no more. I'll be right back. Dial in, let it out. 888-900-3393. This is the Chris Salcedo Show, part of Generation Blaze on the Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo Show. Listen. Dial. Speak. 
Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This coming down earlier today, this can't be good. A federal judge ordered the Department of State to release new emails stored on former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's private server regarding the 2012 attack at Benghazi. According to a nonprofit government watchdog group, Two previously unreleased emails have a subject line quick summary of POTUS calls to presidents of Libya and Egypt and were sent two days after terrorists attacked the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi on September the 11th, 2012, according to Judicial Watch. God bless Judicial Watch for doing the jobs Republicans won't do. You know what? We've got to give employees of Judicial Watch... uh, in-state tuition. We've got to give employees of Judicial Watch uh, uh, free college education the way some are proposing to give to illegal aliens because Judicial Watch is doing, is doing the job that Republicans won't do. <laughs> the full emails may reveal what former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and resident Obama knew about the September 11th, 2012 terror attack on the U.S. mission in Benghazi. The records were released after Judicial Watch sued the State Department following its claim that the deliberative process exemption under the Freedom of Information Act justified redaction. The Department of Justice asked the court to keep the email secret and argued that they accidentally failed to withhold the material because it contains classified material. Right. (laughs) <laughs> that was during the Obama era. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, congratulations to Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski. The uh, Republican, I'm making hair quotes with my fingers, Scarborough and the liberal elitist Brzezinski are hitched. Oh, well, they're going to get hitched. They're betrothed. I, I, I got to admit, I didn't see that coming. It, typically, it's it's never a good idea to to get into a relationship with somebody you work with. I mean, what? Just say what happens if the marriage doesn't necessarily work out. And I'm not wishing. Don't get me wrong here, folks. I'm not wishing them ill will at all. I'm just saying that what happens, you know, to to the show, it just adds up. A whole new layer, wouldn't you say? I'm just, I'm just saying. U.S. job growth rebounds sharply. Unemployment rate hits 4.4%. U.S. job growth rebounded sharply in April, and the unemployment rate dropped to 4.4%, near a 10-year low, pointing to a tightening labor market that likely seals the case for an interest rate increase next month, despite the moderate wage growth. Non-farm payroll surged by 211,000 jobs last month after a paltry gain of 79,000 in March. The Labor Department said this on Friday. April's jobs growth, which was broad-based, surpassed this month, this year's monthly average by 185,000. There were hefty increases in leisure and hospitality, health care, of course, health care, and social assistance, as well as business and professional services payrolls. So, 
and typically as we looked at GDP, I think that's going to be a lagging indicator as folks get back to work. Uh, what I, I would like to have seen in this write-up from Reuters was, and this, this was our criticism during the Obama era, that the unemployment rate was dropping, but it wasn't because uh, individuals were finding work. It was because so many people were growing frustrated. They weren't being counted anymore. Their their employ or their their unemployment benefits were running out, so they were dropping off the rolls and they weren't counted. And then they weren't jumping back into the labor force because they were so frustrated. They just gave up. That the re that's the reason why the unemployment rate was dropping. It wasn't be- it, the number of folks who were no longer counted or dropping out far outnumbered those who were getting jobs in the era of Obama. And that what was that's what was driving the the skewed unemployment drops in the era of Obama. What I really like to see is is how the jobs added reflected against those who dropped out of the workforce. That would that would be very telling to me to see if if this was actually something to crow about or not in the uh, first couple of months of the Trump administration. All right, coming up, Mary Ramirez will join us. We'll see what's on her mind uh, for the end of this week. And if I have time, real time with Bill Maher discussing President Obama's speeches, his $800,000 speeches. And liberals... Wondering out loud with Mr. Marr, when did we become a covet our, your 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 neighbor's wealth society? <laughs> These liberals dared to ask that question on Mars panel, and oh, we've got the answer. It's coming up on the Chris Salcedo Show, right here on the Blaze Radio Network. Stick around, folks. I'll be right back. You're listening to the Chris Salcedo Show, part of Generation Blaze. On the Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo. Before we get to Mary, uh, I checked... The U3 and the U6 numbers on the Bureau of Labor Statistics webpage and compared them, uh, compared April of last year, 2016, with uh, April of this year. And the U3 unemployment number, which is the, the fake unemployment rate, folks, it was 4.7 in um, April of 2016. It's 4.4 now in the first couple of months of Trump. All right. So it's better year to year. The U6, which is known as the real unemployment number, which sits at nine, what nobody ever talks about, 9.3% during the era of Obama has now dropped to 8.6% a year later under the first few months of Trump. So that's, that's where our trajectory is. The U6 number, we're still at very high as far as real unemployment is concerned, but there seems to be... Um, Whereas Obama was getting, you know, 0.2, improvements on the unemployment. And actually, there was actually one good. No, that's actually, that's not, that's not right. Because that's still uh, unseasonally adjusted numbers for 2017. So 
Um, I have to do a comparative analysis. Uh, See, yeah, there wasn't much movement, the real unemployment rate during the Obama era. Uh, Now there seems to be significant movement in real unemployment. Uh, Let's talk uh, about some other issues of the day with Mary Ramirez, longtime contributor here to the Chris Salcedo Show. She's been with us almost since the very beginning, folks, and she joins me now via Skype. Hey, Mary. Hey, Chris. Yeah, what's it been now? Like, is it is it almost two years or is it over two years? I'm losing track of time, but it's just flown. It's been a good well, time. Well, the, the Salcedo <laughs> Show was born in September of 2013. Yeah, I think I came on January 2014. So, yeah, we're coming up on, wow, yeah. that has gotten fast. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, hey, now, now you have a child, so it's going to get in faster. Um, oh, my gosh. Don't even tell me about it. <laughs> I know, right. Okay, so what's going on? What are you writing about this week? So Jimmy Kimmel, everybody heard about Jimmy Kimmel, his monologue, his tearful monologue, um, heartfelt, it went viral mm-hmm. um, because his son, as everyone now knows, was was born with this really awful uh, heart condition that required immediate uh, attention, surgery, and life-saving surgery. And now the child is fine, which is great. But Kimmel used the experience um, to push socialism. Very emotional. Exactly. To to push Obamacare. And his, yeah. his premise was, had he and his wife not been rich, and if Obamacare didn't exist to protect them, had they been poor, their son would have been left to die. And of course, you and I know that that's not only entirely false, but it's an intellectually lazy equivocation to, to Obamacare. But that's actually not what my piece is about this week. I was, I was actually watching um, The Foxes, The Five, and Dana Perino was talking about this. And she said, you know, the left is really good at storytelling conservatives and Republicans, not so much. We tend to talk about things in the context of numbers and statistics and facts and figures, which all important things, right? But the left is really, really, really good at tapping into the emotions. So here you've got this case where Jimmy Kimmel makes this false equivocation. I don't know necessarily if on purpose or if he just truly doesn't understand um, and, and uses the story of his son to to sell this point. And everybody goes, oh my gosh, wow. And so the, the point of my piece is, we on the right have to start doing that because, you know, you people like you and me and, and, and others like us, um, we enjoy reading the numbers and the facts and the figures, particularly as it pertains to Obamacare. We, we, you know, we'll go through and look at, wow, you know, X number of millions of people have seen their premiums increase or X number of millions of people have seen their deductibles increase or whatever that is. We don't tend to talk as much about the human collateral behind those numbers. And um, I was researching this piece because I thought, you know, I'm going to highlight maybe five or six people and and tell their stories here. It's hard to find. I mean, you've got some, you know, you've got some stories that that people have written up. But um, and I think Cheryl Atkinson also has a page where people can can tell their stories. But by and large, you don't People aren't writing about that on our side. We're writing about facts and figures. So I'm trying to, with this piece, help people understand the importance of bringing in that human element. For example, um, I I, I did read a story about one guy whose premiums increased by $4,000 a year. Okay, well, if you're a family of four and you're making an average salary, maybe dad's, you know, it's a single income household, right? What, where, where do you get $4,000 more a year if you're living paycheck to paycheck, which apparently, according to a, a recent study, 60% or more of Americans are right. living paycheck to paycheck? What do you have to give up? What do your children go without? How many hours do you have to spend away from them while you're working some sort of second job? You know, what, is, what does job loss mean? to a single mom. We hear about all these jobs that have been lost under Obamacare because of the regulations that have placed such burdens on, especially on small businesses. Well, what does that single mom do? Do you go on food stamps? Do you, do you live out of your car? I mean, what, what do you lose? You know, um, 
what happens when you're in that coverage gap? You know, where, where you make uh, too much money to be helped by Medicaid, but too little to afford a plan under Obamacare. You're, you're stuck, and yet you never hear these stories. And, and as I point out in my piece, these are not anecdotal, you know, one person over here, one person over here. These are millions of actual, real Americans who have seen these things come to fruition in, in their own lives. And, you know, I'm sitting here watching what the Republicans just did in Congress yesterday, which is essentially, as you discussed in your show, passed a bill that, that amends Obamacare. It doesn't address the core problems, and it won't make it through the Senate even if it did. But um, so you've got, you've, you've essentially got Obamacare still in place. And you've got Democrats pushing for it to go back to where it was before. And, and, and what I feel like we on the right need to be doing as we go through this discussion is not only talk about the facts and figures, but tell these stories. Because these are, these are very real and actual people who are being affected by this gargantuan behemoth plan. And, you know, I just I don't I don't see that enough on our side. And yeah. I, I think it's important. Well, you know what? And well, the problem with the storytelling on the, on the Democrat side is, is often, uh, the story of the fairy tale variety. And, right. and, 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 and that's, and that's actually true. And I'm not, I'm actually trying to be a little snarky, but it's also very true. They often exaggerate, they often distort, and they often have their political agenda at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. To advance, and that's liberals right. always want to advance their political agenda. And, 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 and let me make. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, they they just want to make a they want to make a play for power, whereas we conservatives are kind of burdened with this whole uh, this whole truth thing. And when we win, more other people get more freedom. When the Democrats and the liberals win, people lose their freedom. Right. Well, and I I want to make something very very clear when I'm talking about telling stories. I I am. Certainly not advocating that we tell stories for the sake of telling stories, you know, some sort of that we add or that I'm advocating some sort of Machiavellian do whatever you got to do to get whatever end you want to reach. I'm saying we tell we tell the truth and we tell these stories, as you just said, to advance freedom, not to push for for more power. If, if the story advances freedom, which I believe these millions of stories do, then we tell them. Um, but but, you know, because really we're, we're operating in a world. We have to remember this. We're operating in a world where millions of people saw Jimmy Kimmel and went, oh, my gosh. I know. We can't repeal Obamacare. Yeah. My kid could die. That, that's the kind of world we're, mm. you know, unfortunately, but that's the kind of world we're living in. We're living in a world where people operate by emotion. So, okay. Well, I, I, we I, told, to say, I said this yesterday, that if, if the libs can guarantee me that, that uh, socialism will stop people from dying, uh, sign me up. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, shut up. Uh, Mary, what is the name of your piece? conservatives it's time we learned how to tell stories and that's on my blog a future free and i'll tweet that out after the segment very good uh thank you lady have a great weekend and we will retweet on the chris salcedo show uh that piece mary ramirez everybody i'll be right back we'll um we'll get into real time with bill maher they the the liberals are are, are wondering when we started getting into this whole when do we start coveting our neighbor's stuff <laughs> It's coming up, the Chris Alcedo Show here on The Blaze. Telling the truth. It's one of those jobs American liberals won't do. That's why we need the liberty-loving Latino Chris Salcedo. The Blaze Radio Network.
1-800-273-1300. The Chris Salcedo Show. Wait a second. The, the president, uh, the current president is trying to undo all of his Wall Street regulation. And then he goes to Wall Street and takes 200. Isn't that what sort of cost Hillary the election? Are those horrible speeches she made yeah, to but Wall the, Street the and different, she wouldn't release the transcripts of no, it? And, but the, well, because the, she wouldn't the, release the transcripts. No, no, but the, dif- people saw it, they no, would, but the, the difference is, are you in the pocket of right. Wall Street? <laughs> you know who that was? Rob Reiner, meathead. Rob Ryan, that, what's the difference? Are you in the pocket? So as long as Barack Obama tried to, to shaft Wall Street, it was okay for Obama to take money from Wall Street? Is that what Meathead is talking about? <laughs> oh, this continued. For, and she's know, running for office. He's not running for anything right now. And, you and know. he's not going to. Yeah. Now, it kind of looks like when he's on our team, we're okay with it. No, no, I don't feel that way. <laughs> I mean, really? if, But you could say that when, when, he, when a guy is president, he's looking ahead to that $400,000. And he's not going to get it if, while he's president, he's going to do something that's going to piss them off. So isn't the best thing to do? Take your $10 million book deal. Can't you live on that? Yeah, well. I don't know when America became, I covet my neighbor's success country. <laughs> really? This left-wing kook. What did she say? I don't know when America became, I covet my neighbor's success country. Um, maybe she was absent the last eight years. Let, let me refresh your memory, memory, sweetheart, about when America became the, what did you call it? I don't know when America became, I covet my neighbor's success country. I covet my neighbor, neighbor's success country. Maybe it was, maybe it was here. And right now, everybody's so pinched that business is bad for everybody. And, and I think when you spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody. But I, listen, I, I respect what you do and I respect your question. Yeah. Spread the wealth around. Maybe it wasn't President Obama uh, was was doing class warfare out there on the campaign trail. Maybe when, is Obama, when Obama said this. Hundreds of billions of dollars in cuts in spending, but it also asks the wealthiest Americans and the biggest corporations to pay their fair share of taxes. I don't know when America became, I covet my neighbor's success country. Maybe it was here. Prosperity can't be just for CEOs and hedge fund managers. Democracy can't be just for billionaires and corporations. Prosperity and democracy are part of your basic bargain, too. Yeah. When did we start coveting our neighbor's success? Perhaps it was at the advent of the Democrat Party. A lot of it would go to the top 1%. Pay attention here. Folks making more than $3 million a year, the top one-tenth of 1%, they would get a tax cut under Mr. Romney's plan that is worth almost a quarter of a million dollars. $250,000 they would save under his plan. I don't know when America became, I covet my neighbor's success country. It's easy when Democrats st- uh, became a major political party and when they started getting elected to high office. That's when, sweetie. That's when. I'm not going to have time to get into all of this report, but I, I mentioned this drives me nuts. When 
Congress, instead of doing what it should be doing, sticks their big nose into the private sector. They did this with airline CEOs. Fox News reported on this, and here's how it went. You know you're having a bad day when the group that's going to lecture you on customer satisfaction is the United States Congress. Airline executives buckled up for a blistering hearing about how they treat their customers. My first question I was going to ask, only slightly in jest, is why do you hate the American people? You probably feel today like a lot of flyers, uh, very claustrophobic and waiting for something bad to maybe happen. Executives from all major airlines were invited to testify before the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, but only four showed up. American, Alaska, Southwest, and of course, United. United Airlines, of course, with the the dragging of that customer off. Delta's in hot water this week. Kicked a family off their flight. Uh, now, now, I'm not defending the the airlines matter of fact uh, i think you know I, I can't stand flying anybody but southwest but the very idea that congress can bring these private sector ceos and uh, up to capitol hill and lecture them on how to run their business it's not your job in congress do your job it's not your job to tell these people how to run their companies if they want to Kick the garbage out of their customers. They're a private. They don't want to have many customers. Let them do it. It's not your. It's not your place. Whose CEO was skewered for his initial response to a passenger being dragged off a plane to make room for more crew. Could you tell us what you were thinking at that point? It was appalling. It was awful to watch that. It reminded me of a Trump campaign rally. Oh, jeez. You people can't run your. Can't run this government. And you. You have the temerity to lecture a private company and how to run theirs? I never want to see a paying customer pulled off of a flight to move a crew. Screw you. Who the heck are you, Congresswoman? I, I don't see CEO on your badge of anything. And I, I don't even know if she's a Republican or Democrat. I don't care. I don't want to see a paying customer ever again. Well, who the heck are you? Go get a job as a CEO, then you can make that call. Go prove you can run something else else other than a popsicle stand. Some Democrats can't even lay claim to that. They have no right to lecture these individuals on how to run their companies. How about this? You guys start running the Congress in this country correctly, then maybe you'll have room to lecture us in the private sector on how to run their companies. That's going to do it, everybody. For the Chris Salcedo Show, remember, society's worth isn't measured by how much power is seized by its government, but rather how much power is reserved for we the people. Have yourselves a great weekend. Stay safe. See you back here on Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network.